Yeah, we turn to Galatians 2. Um, today's the second Sunday of the, uh, the year, and um, we had a watch night service as well, uh, very close to our, our Sunday service. And in those sermons, I was indicating that, um, yeah, the freshness of a new year, starting a new year again, uh, gives you a desire to want to kind of um, uh, re- realign yourself and to remind yourself of what's important um, and to and, and think of how you want to uh, head into the year. And for us as a church as well, make sure that we, we remember what is most important so that at the end of the year, you know, we have, we've made strides and we've, 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 we've grown and we haven't... Um, we haven't caused ourselves any avoidable uh, problems or stress because we haven't taken heed to the voice of God. So the, 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 as I, I've been saying, the impetus that a fresh air gives you to kind of rethink and recalibrate if you want. Um, and I'm still designed to do something like that today, this morning, partially because I'm not preaching for the next two weeks, so I, I didn't want to preach through a series. Uh, but also because the text in front of me... Um, a while ago as well, um, I felt almost, uh, yeah, it, it felt near to my heart as I was thinking about uh, our church and, and the new year and what matters most. Um, and, you know, we want to know that God is going ahead of us. That's what, that's what congregations always want to know. Like, we want to know that this year God is guiding us. And, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not walking in the flesh, as Paul, to use a Pauline phrase, and we're walking in the power of the Spirit. We want to know that God is guiding us. I think I started one sermon, in fact, by, by referencing the words of a hymn we sing very often here, O God of Bethel, by whose hand thy people still are fed, who through this weary pilgrimage has all our fathers led. And it's a hymn about how the same God who we see guiding his people in the Old Testament is the same God that we want to guide us uh, as churches, uh, as a church today. We want God to be guiding us this year. And when you are traveling somewhere, when you're heading somewhere, you want, you're looking for clear direction. This is, this is uh, where I'm heading to, and this is the direction. This is how you get there. Now, uh, today, when you're traveling, you would use your GPS, I'm guessing, your, your sat-nav or whatever. Um, in the Old Testament, God's people had him as a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to, to guide them. Uh, and today, actually, in our passage, there is this language of direction um, that I believe that if we comprehend and we commit to uh, following, uh, then we can be convinced that as a church, as people, that God is guiding us every bit as much as he guided his people in the Old Testament. Um, maybe even more vividly so, even more clearly so, God directs us um, as he, you know, we, we don't have to say, I long for a pillar of fire. I wish I had a pillar of fire. It would be easier. No, this is God, God directs us as clearly if we will, if we will listen. Um, Paul says in verse 14 about conduct that was not in step with the gospel, right? And he, he condemns that, he rebukes that so that the opposite is what he calls us to. He calls us to live lives that are consistent with the gospel. And the conclusion I want us to draw from this sermon this morning, this passage that I think we must draw, uh, is that faithful discipleship, faithfulness as a church, and so a good year for us as a church, basically involves walking, living, acting in a way that is consistent with, as Paul would phrase it, 
multiple times in the book of Galatians with the truth of the gospel. Um, that's, it doesn't get more specific than that. You know, again, at these times of the year, churches would often have like prophecy services or something and, you know, for direction, to give them direction. It doesn't get more specific than, listen, walk consistently with the gospel. That anchor will hold you all the time. That will keep you. You'll always be in the right direction if you're committing yourselves to walking in a way that is consistent with the gospel. Um, And the fact that the Apostle Paul has to address that provides almost a necessary corrective. For, for, For Paul to have to say to Christians, listen, strive to walk in a way that is consistent with the gospel indicates that the, the Christian life is about continuing in the gospel. So oftentimes, um, people make it seem as though the gospel is something you start with and then you leave off. That, that's, maybe the, that's maybe what's behind the lack of excitement almost that we get if someone says, listen, God's word for you this year is, or what you need the most this year is to walk and live in a way that is consistent with the gospel. We maybe wonder sometimes... Churches, church ministry has been so um, presented as to make Christians wonder if there is not something to, to go to, there's something beyond the gospel. So the gospel is ABC, right? It's where you start with, and every Christian believes the gospel, obviously, and that's basic. But if you're a mature Christian, and if you're a growing Christian, and if you're a thriving Christian, and if you're a Christian that God is revealing things to, then you have to go beyond that. You have to go beyond the gospel. And so churches allow themselves to be characterized by, you know, talk of revelation and God revealing this to me and revealing that to us. And it's this, this, this suggestion that there is something higher than the gospel, that there is a, a deeper level than the gospel. You can go deeper than the gospel. And that is a lie. Uh, above all other lies. There's no greater lie than to believe that kind of nonsense. It's not true. We don't get any deeper. We get deeper in the gospel. We don't get any deeper than the gospel. We can sing uh, with the old, uh, I think, Pentecostal hymn, um, higher, higher in the gospel. We can say that. Deeper, deeper in the gospel, yes, but we don't get any higher than the gospel. All we are striving for is a clearer understanding. And Paul says the Christian life is characterized by just walking in line with the gospel. That's how you know that you are maturing. That's how you know that you are walking in the power of the Spirit is more and more walking in line with the gospel. That's what Christian maturity is. Um, Christian maturity, the measure of Christian maturity and growth as a church, as individuals, is the extent to which we are grounded in the gospel. You know, the gospel changes everything, every part of our lives. It affects everything. And the extent to which this, 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 the gospel is being brought to bear upon our lives, the extent to which we can say, I'm making decisions conditioned and constrained and controlled by the gospel is the extent to which we may speak of any kind of maturity or faithfulness. The Bible often refers to our Lord Jesus as the cornerstone in the scriptures. And, in, in the, in, and the cornerstone is, uh, well, in architectural language anyway, is, is this, it's this initial fundamental part of a building that after it was, uh, the, 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 the cornerstone piece of the, of, the, of the building would be the, the piece by, 
after which all the rest of the building is formed. The rest of the building is conditioned by this cornerstone piece. And if you remove the cornerstone, you lose the whole, the, the whole building. That's why Christ is called our cornerstone. He is he's basic, he's fundamental to everything. You could say something like that about the gospel. The gospel is the cornerstone of the church. You lose the gospel, you lose its influence, you lose um, its necessity and impact, and you lose, I mean, in the book of Galatians, Paul says you, you lose the Holy Spirit almost. And so there's fewer, more important things that we can urge upon ourselves as a church again and again as to say, keep in step with the gospel. Of course, I'm, I'm uh, saying the opposite. I'm saying the opposite of what Paul, Paul says in an opposite sense. He, he rebukes Peter, he says, for not... Uh, for being out of step with the gospel, Peter ought to have acted in a way that was in line, in step with the gospel. Now, a question that comes to mind is, is, is what is the gospel? Peter says we, Paul says we should walk in step with the gospel. What is the gospel? And I know well enough now that even for Christians who would profess to have believed the gospel, I'm not doubting salvation here, that even, but even for Christians that, who have been in the church for years, that it is possible to lose sight of what the gospel actually is. That, it's, that I'm not entirely certain that if I handed all of you a notepad and said, answer, I'm going to sit down and give you two minutes to write your answer to that question, that when I got the notepads back or your, the, 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 your papers back, that I wouldn't have to say, you need to see me after, right? And, and make some, they're not entirely convinced because Christians can lose sight of that. Um, and sometimes even in churches, we can be given the sense that something is the gospel, which is not. I'm saying, what, what does Paul have in mind? What do the scriptures have in mind when they say um, the gospel? And so Paul speaks of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Um, there's, there's, conversely, there's a, there's a false view of the gospel. There's those who, who give a false representation of the gospel. Paul, Paul's commending to us the truth of the gospel. Um, and so think of what the gospel is not, for example. And there's many things you could say to that. I'll suggest a few things, right? The gospel, the gospel is not just any preaching that happens in church. When Paul says walk in line in the truth of the gospel, he's talking about a specific message, and the gospel itself, as a message, is not just anything you hear in church. But sometimes people go to churches and say, well, you know, we just say they're preaching the gospel. Now, every church should be preaching the gospel. But just because it's happening in church doesn't mean it's, it's gospel. And sometimes, even in a legitimate way, there are aspects of a sermon that are helpful and that might be the truth of the gospel, but are not the gospel itself. It's important for us to be able to separate and say, oh, that's a good sermon on marriage. But that's not the gospel. That was very persuasive in commending prayer to me. It's a good sermon on prayer, but that's not the gospel. It's not just any preaching you have in church. The gospel is not your testimony. I'm happy that God saved you. And it's, it's very encouraging that he saved you in such a robust way. But it's not the gospel. If we come this Sunday morning and I tell all of you, all we're going to do this morning is just tell, tell, tell each other, encourage each other by what God has done for us. There could be benefit or profit in that, but it would not be the gospel, right? 
the gospel is not even just a testimony about how you got saved. It's not the, the gospel, right? Um, the gospel is not simply inviting people to know Jesus, right? Here comes a fellow, preaches a whole sermon on everything else under the sun apart from what the gospel really is, and then at the end says, maybe you're here and you want to get your life together. Um, say, repeat this prayer after me and you'll be saved. And someone says, oh, that's, he pre- he's not preached the gospel. That's not the gospel, right? It's good to invite people to believe the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel, you might say, could be summarized by the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1. Intentionally, Paul opens the book of Galatians with this robust declaration of what the gospel is. And that's because he's concerned that the congregation he's writing to have departed from the true gospel, that they've forgotten what the true gospel is, that they are, they've been uh, deceived from the true gospel. And immediately, that's a warning to us not to boast and not to think that just because we, um, to use Paul's words, that just because we, we, we started to run well, the time can never come where things begin to hinder you and take you away from the truth of the gospel. Um, so Paul's writing to a church that he's worried they haven't believed the gospel. And so he opens up with a robust declaration. This is what the gospel is. Galatians 1 and verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 4 in particular. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. That's a summary of what the gospel is, if you want. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, in his death, in his resurrection, in his exaltation, fulfills the plan of God to save sinners for his praise. That's the gospel. What Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ accomplishes the salvation of sinners to the glory of God the Father through his redemptive work. Uh, the gospel is having God's plan in mind. This is all about God's plan and glory. The gospel is having the person of Jesus in mind. He's the very son of God. The gospel is having his accomplishments as well in mind. He was incarnated. He died. He rose again. He's exalted. He's coming back. That's the gospel. We proclaim it, God pours out his spirit, and men and women are saved and delivered. And Paul says, this being the cornerstone of the church, we must strive to live in light of it. Nothing is more important. Nothing is beyond its realm. It's God's plan after all. And the church, especially as custodians of the message, must live it out. And it must affect all that they do. And so Paul is writing then to this church who he is worried have been deceived from the truth of the gospel. In particular, the truth of the gospel that Paul is worried about, worried that the Galatians have missed or have ignored now or deceived from, is that because Jesus has accomplished salvation for sinners, no sinner needs to or can do anything to save himself. Uh, he's, he's worried that the Galatians have missed out this significant implication of the gospel, which is justification. We call it justification by faith. That is, 
the gospel is the good news, or the implication of the gospel is good news, is that you and I, although we are born as sinners, although we are naturally separated from God, there is a way back to God. And that way back to God doesn't require you to do anything to earn it. You can't earn this way. You can't, you can't fix things with God, as it were, in your own strength. And you don't need to do that. Christ has paid it all. So a sinner can come to God just as they are, as sinners, and say, nothing in my hand do I bring. There's nothing I can do to make myself right with you, to fix the relationship. I'm just coming to entrust myself to the promise that you make, that you have fixed, you have done all that needs to be done for our relationships to be fixed. I'm just coming, God, to receive the grace of Jesus. I'm coming to identify with everything that Jesus has done to save sinners from their sins. And what Jesus has done is perfect. So now I don't need to add anything else. All I need to say is I trust what Jesus has done, and now I have a relationship with God where I'm God's child. I'm welcome into God's family. And there's no sin that can condemn me anymore. Christ has died for all my sins. The Galatians were losing that. The Galatians were saying that actually, yes, Jesus died, but there is something that we can add to what Jesus has done. Yes, Jesus died, but if you want to receive the grace of Jesus, you also have to add certain things to what Jesus has done. You have to do your own part. You have to add your own, if you want, circumcision, for example, because uh, circumcision belonged to the Jewish law, the sacred law of the Jews. Um, and they were saying there's some sacred things you might have to do. It's not right to say, just trust in Jesus and he frees you from all your sin. There are some sacred things you have to do to earn God's grace. And Paul says, this is a lie. Now, in particular, in those verses that we read, Paul is addressing how the apostle Peter responds to the threat that's going on in this congregation. So there's people that have come into this congregation that are saying to them, you need to do things to, earn your, uh, uh, to, to, to be right with God. There's some things you need to add, including circumcision, maybe including the food laws. You need to, there's, there's, surely there's some things you have to, be, to do to be right with God. Peter had once proclaimed the gospel that says, no, there's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you can do. It's all about God's grace. And regardless of where you're from, regardless of who you are, man, woman, if you receive the grace of Jesus, you are right with God. But certain people came into the church, they were saying different, and Paul tells us in verses 11 to 14 about this situation where he had to confront Peter because Peter, he says, was acting in a way that was not in step with the gospel. Now, quite simply, what, he, what Peter has done is Peter refused to eat with people in the church who were not Jews because he wondered if, according to the sacred Old Testament laws, it was wrong for him to eat with them. How can I eat with these people, he was thinking, how should I eat? Should I, should I be eating with them knowing that they don't hold to the same food laws that we hold? What Paul says to Peter is, you realize that by saying that, you're telling these Gentiles that for them to have the full, uh, the full blessing of fellowship with Jesus Christ, um, that they need to add something. You're saying that they don't have full admission to the house of God. By telling these Gentiles... I don't think I can eat with you. You're Christians, but I'm not sure I can eat with you because you haven't obeyed the food laws. You're saying to them that there is something else to be added. 
that Jesus hasn't given them full admission. And Paul says, particularly in verse 11 to 14, that he, he, he confronted Peter publicly. He confronted him publicly and said to him, this is out of step with the gospel. So for the Apostle Paul, even the decisions that you make on the table in church, how you eat in church, can be out of step with the gospel because the gospel affects everything. By Peter refusing to eat with a few, a few people uh, because, of, because they weren't Jews, because of their food laws, he was holding back full admission for them from them into the house of God. And, and Paul says, I'm going to stand up against everything that is out of step with the gospel. This doesn't glorify the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it distorts it and it affects the proclamation of it. Uh, and so in that example there, Paul, Paul gives us that example to remind us to, as a church, nothing is more important than walking in step with the gospel. And so a church must strive above all things to be in step with the gospel. Now you could say a hundred things about what that looks like. What does it mean for a church to be walking in step with the gospel? That can affect every single thing. It should affect every single thing. But for, great, for greater clarity this morning, we can depend on Paul's words. In, in Paul's mind, how does it affect the congregation if they believe that they have, if they're, if they're determined to walk in step with the gospel? If we determine to walk in, the st in step with the gospel this year, or when we get to December, if we assess if we have been walking in step with the, with the gospel, what kind of things are we looking at? What kind of culture would you see in the life of the church? Um, what, kind of what, what kind of character would you see in the life of the church? What kind of decisions will we make? Paul gives us at least indication of a few things, of, 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 of some of them. So, so in Galatians in particular, Paul, first of all, makes it clear that walking in step with the truth of the gospel means freedom. It means freedom. That's a big thing for Paul. In fact, this whole scenario that we've spoken about where Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles because there are some people who would come to the church and were saying, how can you tell these guys that they can be right with God if they don't obey certain Jewish laws? How can you tell them that just because Christ has died, that's all they need to do to be right with God? They don't have to worry about, um, about what food they eat. They don't have to worry about, about being circumcised. How can you tell them that? Um, Paul, Paul refers to them earlier in Galatians 2 as people who had come to almost to spy out our freedom. People who were saying that kind of stuff, Paul says, were people, people who are walking out of step with the gospel because they're saying, add this to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus saves you, but you have to add this. Paul says one of my big issues with them is they are enemies of our freedom. The freedom that Jesus gives us. And you know, Paul loves the gospel and what Jesus has done. And the Apostle Paul says, he says later in his, in his book, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. Those who believe the gospel and believe what Christ has done have a duty to fight, to live in the liberty that Christ has provided them. If we don't stand firm, Galatians 5 verse 1, in the liberty that Jesus has given us, if we allow anybody to tell us as a church, or if we live in such a way as a church that we're saying it's Jesus plus, what we're saying is that the gospel is not enough. 
we are refusing to build on the foundation and every other foundation will perish. So the first thing that it looks like for a church to be walking in step with the truth of the gospel is that there is this freedom. What is this freedom? It's the freedom to love God. Not the freedom to do whatever we want. It's the freedom that comes from knowing that there is nothing in the way of my relationship with God. There's a freedom that comes from knowing that God loves me. Not for anything that I've done or can do or will do, but because Christ has died for me. It's the liberty that comes. It's the liberty that comes from knowing that I'm no longer in the chains of sin or of guilt. Right? We always use the picture of a court scene. It's a biblical picture to describe what it looks like to be... Um, to be to, to not be a Christian. When you're not a Christian, before you're a Christian, the sinner is like someone who's in chains, who's imprisoned. That's why we sing in and can it be my, my chains fell off, my heart was free. Before Christ comes to us, we're in chains, we're in bondage, we're 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 we're, we're guilty. We're guilty. And what happens is we deserve punishment, but God sets us free because of what his son has done. We are set free. We're given liberty. The, our sins are no longer held against us because Christ has died for them. The punishment we deserve for our sins is no longer active because Christ has taken it upon himself. We're set free. The gospel has this way of giving a person liberty, of setting them free and of making them believe that they don't need to do anything to earn God's favor. Jesus is enough. Now, it's not freedom to sin. Jesus Christ died to free us from sin. In fact, Jesus Christ once said, whoever sins is a slave of sin. True freedom can't come when someone is living in sin. True freedom comes when we receive Jesus and he frees us from living in sin. Right? It's a freedom from sin, but it is freedom. It's a freedom that says, aside from God's truth, aside from what God requires, I don't need to do anything else to earn God's favor. I can't do anything. I'm already in favor with God, so now I can live my life just to rejoice in God. And... Paul is against anyone who would say anything to hinder or to distract from that sense of freedom. To walk in step with the gospel for a congregation is for people to feel that freedom. That these people are not in bondage. They're not enslaved to anything but God. That, that's freedom. Right? So the people come into our congregations and feel like there's a bondage here. Or is there the liberty that says these people feel free, free, free to be themselves before the Lord. Now, now, now let's be clear. Some people come to Christian congregations and don't, they don't feel free because uh, they love their sin. So if you come to a church and you say, I didn't feel free there because, you know, they, 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 they kept on confessing sin. Or I didn't feel free there because they said some things, you know, to, to live this way is a sin. It's because you don't understand what freedom is, right? Freedom is not saying that there's no, there's, God doesn't have a law, God doesn't have commandments, so there's not things that harm us. 
Some people come into a church and they're not free because they, 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 don't, they don't feel free because they say, well, the people, they take God too seriously. You know, I, 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 I wish it was a bit more entertaining. That's, that's not freedom. Freedom doesn't mean that we deny the fact that God is holy. Um, the God who is among us as Christians is a holy God. Um, and so when we approach him like this, we, 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 we feel the sense of the awe of being before him. But sometimes people come into our congregations and don't feel free in the church because we are adding requirements to uh, the gospel of God, of God. Sometimes people are in the church and they don't feel free because a church is saying that to be right with God is Jesus plus, you know, Jesus Christ and be like this. And some, sometimes we are stealing, the, we're, we're, we're trying to put Christians in bondage because we're saying that you can add to Jesus Christ. And, you know, brothers and sisters, anyone saying that you can add something to Jesus to be right with God is trying to put you in bondage. Jesus plus is bondage. Jesus plus is a minus. Paul says, if you add circumcision to Jesus Christ, for example, you don't have Jesus. In the church, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus suits and ties. It doesn't matter how how much you feel convinced that there's a certain way to dress a church, for example. We don't have the right to encroach on the liberty that Jesus gives to Christians. Now, there's some churches this morning where everybody in the congregation will wear suits. It's absolutely fine. They have their freedom to do that. There's another church where everyone is going to wear track suits. They have the right to do that. It's not Jesus plus. You can't add to how we are right with God. It's not Jesus plus wokeness, like I was saying last week. That's a, that's a good example because of how much it's caused so much division among churches because ch ch Christians are unwilling to accept that we cannot add anything to what makes someone right with God. Now, racism is, a, to be racist is sinful, right? That's sinful to, to treat someone as less than you because of the color of the skin. Now, that's sinful. But to be woke or not woke is not a sin. It's not Jesus plus wokeness. It's not, you know, you're not going to be comfortable in this church if you're not woke like us. You see a church like that. That's a church that's trying to add something to Jesus. It's not Jesus plus uh, veganism, right? The world treats its dietary choices today like it's is the determiner of what is holy or not. Not in the church. You, you don't want to go to a church and you feel like, you know, in this church, if you're not a vegan, or in this church, if you're not vegetarian, or in this church, if you are vegan, you feel like you need to do something to get closer to God, like you've missed something. That's Jesus plus. It's not, it's not Jesus plus vaccines, right? And I'm not, please, I'm not saying I'm anti-vax. I'm not saying for you not to get the vaccines, Right? But that doesn't determine in the church what it means to be right with God. Now, the world can speak about vaccines as, as though the decision you make in that regard is what determines if you're a good person or a bad person or if you're free or not free. In the church, we cannot do that. In, in the church, what sets you free is trusting that Jesus Christ has died for you. It's not Jesus plus. Right? And... Uh, do, do we have that? Do people have the freedom? Uh, is that in the church? A freedom to, uh, um, to, to, to be different? 
because Christ has done it all. I don't, I don't need to live up to someone's standards. Christ has paid it all. So that will reflect in the, the, the liberty that we have to just be different people because uh, Christ has done it all. Jesus Christ died to give us liberty, to make us free. Um, he, he, he delivers us from bondage, and so, so there's a joy in our faith. Is, is, there, is there the kind of freedom that comes in, in our churches that comes from knowing that all my sins have genuinely been dealt with? So if I sin in the church, the place I need to go to is the church? Or, or do people say, if, if I fall into sin in my church, um, I better not go back there. I don't ex- expect to experience the grace the mercy. Now, sometimes, of course, people run away from the church because they have a, a wrong view of, of, of God's grace. And maybe it's not the church's fault. But it must not be that people say, in our church, we're characterized by not being able to extend grace to each other. The way we're going to know that we're walking in step with the gospel this year is that we experience the freedom of grace. That our, We know that our sins are covered. That if we sin, we are reminded that Jesus died to forgive us from sin. We're not made to think that we have to do penance. You know, you're not going to receive forgiveness until you do this, 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 is that. We, that, that we don't hinder the work of the gospel. Is there freedom? So, so, so the, the first thing that Paul says you'll find in a church that is walking consistent with the gospel is this freedom um, from everything. Anything that is not about the law of God or, or, or that is not about right or wrong before God, it's not about sin before God, there's just going to be a sense of freedom. No bondage. Uh, freedom to rejoice in the fact that Jesus has done it all. The second thing to walk in step with the truth of the gospel is that we'll be in fellowship with all believers. Uh, Peter's actual sin in, in verse 11 to 14, his, his biggest problem here, his big, his big mistake, is that because he, he, he's out of line with the gospel, he actually attempts to separate from, from, from some Christians. So he, he's not eating with Gentile believers. He's not saying they're not Christians. He's just not giving them the full admission of fellowship. He makes a separation. In a sense, Peter kind of forms a clique in the church. So he doesn't deny that these are Christians. He just doesn't extend to them the full uh, blessing of Christian fellowship. And when a church is walking in step with the truth of the gospel, there will be a deep sense of fellowship among all believers. We, we will not make any distinctions. As Paul says in another passage in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel sets us free to be different but still equal. And where we're walking in line with the truth of the gospel, the only thing that will define us is what somebody else has done. And so, I'll have no room for boasting. In the church, I can't be above you because what defines my, uh, my, my presence in the church, what defines my membership in the church, is what someone else has done, what Christ has done. And so, as long as you're rejoicing in Christ, and I'm rejoicing in Christ, There's no hierarchy, no distinctions. We're all one. And so the the usual uh, differences, those things that in society usually separate people, 
because maybe according to the pay bracket or perhaps according to um, ethnic differences, people are treated as superior to others. Those things don't exist in the church because all that counts in the church is that you are trusting in what Christ has done. Walking in step with the truth of the gospel would intensify our fellowship with all believers. You never look at someone else in the church and think they're beneath your extending of community to them. You're not going to determine who you fellowship with by superficial things. You're not going to look at someone and say, they have such a different social background to me. It's impossible for us to be in fellowship. Here Paul is displeased with Peter, and he confronts him for it because Peter is basically saying, these guys are Gentiles, I'm a Jew, and that's a hindrance to the possibility of fellowship. And Paul rejects that outrightly. In a church that is walking in step with the gospel, none of those things are a hindrance to fellowship. Now again, sin is a hindrance to fellowship, right? There are times in the scriptures where people are told to be put out of the fellowship because of sin. But when that's not the case, uh, there's no, there's nothing that separates us. There's There's no um, difference between men and women. The church is not the place where uh, people say, well, women are inferior. The women are inferior to the men. The women are are inferior in the church. That shouldn't happen in the church. The church is not the place where they say, this particular skin color is inferior. Now, I, I mentioned those two examples because of how rife that very act has been in the church, right? That in the church, women have been known to be treated as inferior. That in the church... Uh, people have been known to be treated as inferior because of the color of their skin. And it reminds us just how important Paul's warning is to us that we make sure that we walk in step with the gospel. Don't think that in your Christian community, you cannot begin to almost subconsciously set up rules that make certain people belong to a privileged few, a privileged group, And that's not in step with the gospel. If there's people in the church that are treated inferior to others, for whatever reason, maybe it's a church where it's the people who are most most theologically informed. The people who have read the most books are the ones who are treated with the most respect and the most grace. Right? Maybe it's a church where it's the wealthy or those who uh, who have good jobs, they're the ones who, who, who get to have, who, who, who get the most attention in the church, the most recognition. Or, or, or it's the people uh, who have the best tastes in the arts and culture. They're the ones who thrive the most in the church. And if that kind of thing is the reason for thriving in any church, that church has departed from the truth of the gospel. They've, they, 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 they're, they're resisting the Holy Spirit, and you can be sure that church is not going to prosper in any gospel way until there's repentance. Where we are walking in the truth of the gospel, we fight for gospel unity. We fight to make sure that no one is treated inferior. We fight to make sure that we don't place cultural preferences above the message of the gospel that unites us. We fight to make sure that we're not the cause of division or discord. 
to be a church that is, in, that is divisive, a church that is divided. Now, of course, things happen in the life of the church, and they shake a church, and there's serious problems and serious issues. But a church that settles on division is not a church that is walking in step with the gospel. A church that you go to, and the stat- they just they, they, they settled for division. They say, oh, you know what? Those guys stay by themselves. Those people stay by themselves because, you know, they've had issues in this area. Because, you know, the people who belong to this culture stay in this, or this age group, they, they, they usually, they, they, they separate from each other. And a church that has not been fighting to restore that, to heal that, is a church that is not walking in, in, in step with the truth of the gospel. And, and God will not be pleased with that church. And that church will not know much blessing. That church will not do great things for the cause of the gospel. To walk in step with the truth of the gospel is to be fighting for the unity of the church. Of course, at a personal level, I'm, 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 I'm assessing and reassessing my relationships and allowing grace to bear on how I treat people and, and how I rectify issues and how I resolve things. But on a communal issue, uh, this, this church must be uh, displaying the, the grace of, of Jesus Christ. So the second thing that happens when we walk in step with the truth of the gospel uh, is that we, there's, there's a deep fellowship. A fellowship. Someone comes to the church and they know that there's something deeper that binds these people. It's not ultimately about age. Uh, it's not ultimately about social status. Something, and that deeper thing is the gospel. We have all come to believe. We have to fight for that. You have to fight to know that you need to stop saying to yourself you can't have a better relationship with that person because you just don't have the same tastes. I'm not saying everyone's going to be your best friend. I'm not, going to say everyone, I'm not saying everyone's going to be your favorite person to talk to. But for you to assume that you cannot have a better relationship with a Christian because you don't like the same, you don't go to the same places, you don't listen to the same music, is for you to totally um, underestimate. In fact, is for you to... Um, almost insult the power of the gospel. The gospel binds us in a way that is far deeper than those superficial things. And the third and last thing to say is that walking in step with the truth of the gospel means we will be faithful custodians of the gospel. We will be faithful custodians of the gospel. We will fight for the purity of the gospel. And that's exactly what's happening in Galatians, in, in the book of Galatians and in Galatians 2. The apostle Paul is fighting for the purity of the gospel. You know, earlier on in, in verse 4, Paul says, Because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spire our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that it might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. There is no room for compromise on the gospel and a life that is consistent with it. Uh, To be walking in step with the truth of the gospel is to fight tooth and nail to make sure that we are defined by the gospel. It's to fight to make sure that the liberty that comes from the gospel is never encroached on. So much so that Paul refuses to fear the faces of men, right? He says, I oppose Peter publicly. Peter, who was such a great man in the church, had a great reputation. And the whole point of Galatians 2 is not to pour, uh, is not to insult Peter or to pour sand on him. No, Peter was a a great man. But not even the reputation of Peter 
would, could withstand Paul's passion for making sure that the gospel was proclaimed in purity. Right? We cannot fear the faces of people. People's reputations don't matter when it comes to fighting for gospel purity. Right? Walking in step with the truth of the gospel is that we recognize ourselves as custodians of that. We fight to make sure that our, our churches our churches continue to find in our relationships with each other, in, in, in the decisions we make, that the gospel of Jesus is upheld. What that means, for example, is we might have situations where you really have a strong preference for something in the church. You have a strong preference for how worship should look like, or you have a, a strong preference for how preaching should go. Uh, so many things that we can have strong preferences for, but that we will, we're, we're unwilling to impose on anybody because we are unwilling to suggest in the slightest that it's Jesus plus. And churches, I tell you, Christians have not always been careful. Again, you might have strong reason for wanting something, but you must never allow it to, to, to think, allow it to seem that it's Jesus plus this. So, for example, and this might not be, you might be aware of this or not, but in, in, especially in contemporary history of the church, there's been a, a, a lot of, of stuff going on with worship wars, right? Christians war with each other about how, what worship should look like. In some churches, you have maybe more similar to ours, you, you have a, 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 a worship leader, I'm referring to myself, who reads out the hymns, who reads the passages, who reads the verses, who preaches, and it's a soul, that singular figure leads the whole service. But then you have churches who have different sort of, um, of traditions, and churches that might have a, a choir involved, and they might have different people reading at this part of the service. And then you have some churches where um, it's an interaction amongst the whole congregation, and you have all kinds of, you can go to different churches and just find different experiences. And one of the reasons why Christians have warred with each other over this is actually because these Christians were unwilling to recognize that my tradition does not equal God's command. That it's absolutely okay for a church to have a tradition, but not to impose it on others. It must never be Jesus plus. You don't want people to come to your church and say, when I left this church, I learned that to be a Christian, you have to dress this way. I, I, when, I, when I left this church, I learned that to be a Christian, you have to speak this way. You have to use these particular words. Things that have nothing to do with the liberty that Christ has purchased for us in, in, in that God has purchased for us in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus and nothing else. And we must fight for that. We must be careful to say, hold on, this is, we have no, we have no right to say this is what must be done because this is about Jesus Christ. It's not about me and what I want. It's about Christ and the liberty that he has purchase. And there's a, we have to be urgent and serious, serious about it. That's why Paul writes this whole book of Galatians. He's so, urge, he's so serious about making sure that the liberty of these folks um, is not encroached upon. Right? And we must, we're faithful custodians. We fight for it. And one of the, one of the ways that that happens in the church is actually through, and this is, not con, this is not a contradiction, but it's actually through discipline. So what Paul does with Peter is actually part of what you might call church discipline. Um, the fact that Paul confronts him publicly. The reason why Paul must do, probably does that is because the Bible says you're going to rebuke a church leader, you do that, you rebuke them publicly, right? Other Christians, 
you, you, rebuke, you might rebuke privately, um, but the, the, the responsibility of the church leader is so significant that they, they, they should be ready to face public, um, public rebuke and public discipline. But why does Paul do that? Why does Paul, why does Paul practice discipline in this way with Peter? Because he is passionate about ensuring that the gospel is preserved in its purity. So if we are passionate about, if we realize that we're faithful custodians of the gospel, one of the things that will happen in our churches, right, is that we will confront sin. So, so the idea of loving the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us and, rec- and admitting it and acknowledging it and say, listen, we have, we have freedom in Christ. And you have the freedom to dress a certain way. You have the freedom to be strange, to be quirky, to be different. You have all that freedom is there does not mean that we don't confront sin. In, pa- in fact, part of faithfully being custodians of the gospel, because we don't want that freedom to be used for the wrong reason. Paul says later in Galatians 5, you use your freedom to serve the Lord, to serve each other. What that looks like is confronting sin. So just because there's a pattern of confronting sin in a church, does not mean there's no liberty. You know, someone comes to the church and says, well, I wanted to live in sin, and so they put me out of the church. Or I wanted to live in sin, and so the the elders confronted me, and they say there's no freedom in that church. That's not true. That person has misunderstood gospel liberty. One of the things that walking faithfully in line with the gospel will do for us as a church is it would mean that we confront sin. And sometimes when we don't confront sin in each other's lives when we don't address sin in each other's lives, when we don't call each other to repentance, it's a sign that we're not being faithful custodians of the gospel. And so we're not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. If we're going to walk in step with the truth of the gospel this year, very often it will look like genuinely confronting sin, which is not a nice thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do. Well, those three things, right? We walk in, in line with, in step with the truth of the gospel, and there will be freedom. We walk in step with the truth of the gospel, and there will be a deeper fellowship. We walk in step with the truth of the gospel, and we will realize that we, this is our greatest task. We're, we're called to be custodians of this. We'll fight for this. We'll strive for this. Uh, let me close them by saying this, that if the Lord has called us then to be uh, faithful custodians of the gospel, Uh, He has called us to pursue earnestly a life that is consistent with the gospel. We need to be committed in our minds, decided in our minds, that the gospel truly affects everything. One of the mistakes that Christians just make and that churches make is that they don't bring the gospel to bear upon their decisions, right? Here is someone who's a faithful Christian coming to church Sunday in, Sunday out, loving the Lord, you know, loving God's people. They even love the gospel. But then when they want to get married, they compartmentalize. They separate the marriage from the gospel. They don't ask themselves, how does the gospel come to bear upon this person that I'm choosing to marry? Or, or upon how I should do my wedding? Or what should happen at my marriage? It's because Christians make that very big mistake of, 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 of implying that there's an area in their lives where the gospel doesn't affect them. And as a church, we must resist that. Or you take the church, you know, here in our church, we have members meetings, and we have one coming up soon. And in a members meeting, you might discuss things that are not, it might seem like they're not obviously spiritual, but that's a mistake. 
For us to make that kind of separation, in this members meeting we're discussing how we're going to spend the money of the church on the building. And for us to suggest that this is not a gospel issue, we're denying the very instruction that we receive in this passage. Everything is a gospel issue. So when we come to discuss something like that, that might seem very, very secular almost, we have to say no, no such thing exists. How does the gospel come to bear upon how we discuss business issues in the church? How does the gospel bear upon how we discuss issues to do with arts in the church? The gospel has to affect every single thing as a church in your individual life. How is the gospel affecting how you use your time? How does the gospel affect how you speak to your parents? How is the gospel affecting and changing and transforming how you spend your money, how you're planning for the future? How is the gospel affecting that? And very often, when we humble ourselves and we, we pray by, that, that God would help give us his Holy Spirit to show us how the gospel should affect us, we'll see, friends, just how selfish we are in certain areas. Just how much we live enslaved because we haven't received the liberty and power of the gospel. The amount of great things that God wants to do through us. The selflessness, the grace that God wants us to show. But it's nowhere to be seen because we haven't said, how does the gospel affect me here? And we have to strive for that, to live intentionally. How would the gospel affect my relationship, my broken relationship with this person? And knowing that God has given me his grace in Jesus, how much grace should I show? Let the gospel affect everything. And uh, let me just say this in closing, though, that if you, of course, haven't already believed this gospel, there's no such thing as you, for, 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 there's no such, no such thing for you like walking in step with the gospel. Some of you today, you say, I, I've never, the gospel doesn't affect anything in my life apart from, you know, Sunday morning. And most likely it's because you haven't believed that message. You haven't heard the message. Well, the reason why the Apostle Paul instructs us to fight to be custodians of the gospel in this passage is because this gospel is the greatest message in the world. It's the greatest news in the world. You know, I was saying a second before, it's not Jesus plus wokeness, it's not Jesus plus veganism, it's not Jesus plus... It's because I wanted to say to you that there's only one message I know that people absolutely need. It's the message of how Jesus has died for your sins. Every single one of those other things can be good or bad and it can affect you in some way. None of them can affect you for eternity. Those who walk in step with the gospel are walking a path that leads to eternal life. The most important message you can hear this morning, right now, that transforms and radicalizes and it liberates you is how the Apostle Paul put it. He gave himself for me. The, 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 the best thing I can wish for you today is that you can say the same thing with Paul. He gave himself for me. I love him who gave himself for me. I know someone has told you that the most important thing you can do is love yourself. You know, everyone's saying that around you. That's not true. When you search yourself, what you're going to find, you're going to find that actually you're far more of a sinner than even you know you are. You're going to find out that you have way more issues than even you know. You're going to find out that you've done things that you would never admit to people. You're going to find that you thought things that you never... So how can I love myself when myself is so broken? How can I love myself when I know that myself is falling apart? 
Jesus comes in and says, you don't have to, don't worry about just loving yourself. You can love the one who loved you, who gave himself for you. Christian liberty comes because God gives us the right object to love. One who loved us endlessly, eternally, more than we could ever love ourselves. And he has set us free. If you believe that message today, you believe that message now, Jesus Christ sets you free from the bondage of sin, the bondage of the fear of death, the bondage of the fear of God, the bondage of the fear of man. He just sets you free. He gives you liberty. There's nothing more important than proclaiming that message. Jesus gave himself for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins. Believe Jesus and you start to live a life where you're walking in step with the gospel. No more in step with this world that's passing away. No more in step with your own sinful desires. No more in step with your insecurities. No more in step with your desire to please everybody else. No more in step with the lies that you have believed from this world. But in step with the gospel of Jesus, in step with the gospel of God, the God who is true, the God who loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you. Stop everything that you're doing now. I tell you, put everything else aside. Trust Jesus and everything is fine. And trust your life to him. That's all that counts. He's a safe refuge. Believe him. Just believe Jesus. And don't worry about anything else. That's the kind of Jesus, of, of liberty that Jesus gives you today. The freedom that Jesus gives you is I can trust him and not worry about anything else because Christ did it all. Come to Jesus today. Amen.